You're listening to a podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. Take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 1. We will be looking at that in just a few moments. Now, I don't know how many of you necessarily remember, but in 1985, some of you weren't even born then, perhaps, or you were too young to to take note of these kind of things. But in 1985, Coca-Cola came out with a new product, a new Coke. They were concerned that their uh, sales had plummeted from, at one time, 60% of the market share down to about 24% and it was sliding fast. And it was the competitors, mainly Pepsi, that was taking over. In fact, in supermarkets and stores, Pepsi was outselling Coke. And so they thought, we need to do something different. We need to introduce a new Coke. And so with a lot of taste testing and a lot of market research, they came out with the new Coca-Cola in April of 1985. And initially, it seemed to be received quite well, but all of a sudden, they, there was this backlash like they could, could not have ever imagined. Phone calls, letters. This was the time before there were emails and, and social media um, as used as outlets to, to voice your concern. But phone calls and letters were just through the roof at, at the Coca-Cola head office. In fact, people were were phoning up and it was like they were mourning the loss of a loved one because their cherished Coca-Cola was taken from them. They hired a psychologist to be able to listen to the phone calls and try to figure out what exactly was going on. Eventually, in three, well, in three months, they introduced Coca-Cola Classic. They, they decided to keep the new Coke, but they also brought along Coca-Cola Classic. And, and eventually, in, in most regions, in a few years, the new Coke was phased out. And Coca-Cola Classic took over once again. Coca-Cola learned a very valuable lesson. Don't mess with the original. Don't mess with it. You know what ended up happening to their profits? They just continued to soar. And it was this whole thing that caused people to go back to drinking what they were familiar with. You know what? As Harvest Bible Chapel Kelowna begins its official public ministry, and as I said, we're two weeks into that, I believe that it's important that we build on a solid foundation. And the best way to do that is not to look at the latest authors and, and the new methods about how to build a church or how to grow a church and, and the latest kind of um, methods and and different things as far as that goes but we need to go back and we need to look at the original we have to look at the word of god and we get the original in the book of acts and and that is why last week as we started out we jumped ahead a little bit in the book of acts because we wanted to take a look at the church in the original the original kind of setting and the original beauty and and the newness of that church and and these were just some of the verses i'm just going to read from acts 242 and then we're going to go back to acts chapter one but here it was some verses we covered last week in verse in, in acts 242 and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayers and awe came upon every soul and then down in verse 47 it says pray Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those that were being saved. This was the church in the classic form. 
Was it a perfect church? No. Because it was filled with imperfect people. It didn't take very long to start seeing the warts and and, and the wrinkles in the new church. And last week, though, we talked about, and and you can listen online again or, or listen on CD, that the new church, the New Testament church, was devoted. They That word devoted doesn't even sound quite strong enough. It was more like they devoured four things we talked about. They devoured God's word. There was a hunger for the word of God in their lives. They were committed to the fellowship. They were committed to one another. They did life together. Thirdly, they were devoted to the presence of God in worship. They wanted to worship and to remember the Lord Jesus Christ through the breaking of bread and and worshiping Jesus. And they were also devoted to prayer. And what was the result? Their lives were being transformed. Their lives were being changed. What was the result of that? The Lord was adding day by day people getting saved who said, I want that. And the church had spread like a wildfire from 3,000 on the first day. Next thing we see 5,000. Then they stopped counting because they couldn't keep, it, keep track. But what has happened and what happened to the New Testament church over time, as it happens with any church is that it started to veer off track a little bit. It started to stray away from the original, started to cut some corners, started to compromise. You see, the Greek word for the word church is ecclesia, okay? And it it basically means an assembly, a gathering of people that were called out around an idea. It was a movement. It was to be a movement of people who assembled around a common conviction. And that common conviction of the New Testament church was that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, the Savior of the world. The common conviction was that the Word of God was their authority. Their common conviction was that they were to be people of prayer. But you see, what started to happen, the church went from a movement... And this shift started to happen more in the Middle Ages where the church became a place where people would go. It would become a sacred place that you would go to for a religious service. It was a place that you attended. It was no longer a movement of people who were on the move, but a place where you would come and you would sit. And yes, you would be challenged from God's word. But the church started to lose a lot of its steam or its momentum, if you want to say it. And the great danger is that the church becomes something that you just do once a week. Rather than a movement that you are a part of. And a movement is something that catches fire. But not just from momentum, from man, from methods, from emotion but by the Holy Spirit, the work that he does. How do you see the church today? Is the church a movement? Is the church a place you go to once a week and you check off the box and say, been there, done that, oh, missed a week, not a big deal, you know, whatever it might be. Maybe the church, in many ways, in North America, it's become more of a museum. Someone described it as, in many ways, the church is very much like a hockey game where you have 12 players on the ice in desperate need of arrest, surrounded by 20,000 fans in desperate need of exercise. Probably a pretty good description of the church today. 
The church was not designed to be a spectator sport where you simply come once a week, but a movement, a movement of people that are on fire for the gospel. And that is why church planting, there's something beautiful and raw and very tiring about it. Is that it forces us to to be a movement of people who move into this place on a Sunday morning and transform it and turn it into a worship center and then afterwards clean it up and, and, and pack it all church in a box. But that box goes into storage, but the church continues throughout Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday as we are people that are on a movement of the gospel, for the gospel. And we work together and we pray together. And that's why on Wednesday night we have a prayer time because we need to get after some things in prayer and to pray for one another. The church is to be a movement. And last week we saw the early church. They were devoted. They devoured certain things. Well, this week we're going to look, that, look and see that the early church, the disciples in today's passage, were captured. Something captured their hearts. It captured their minds. And something captured them in a powerful way. And, and that's why we have to go back and look at the original truths. We have to see what captured them, what caused the church to become a very special movement. And these truths are essential for everyone here that, that's sitting here today. Whether you are part of Harvest Kelowna or whether or not you're visiting today from out of town or you're here just from Kelowna, but you're just kind of checking things out and wondering, is this going to be the church that's going to be a place for, for, for you to be a part of? It is my prayer that whoever you are, that you get captured by these truths. Because these truths, if they, tra- if they capture our hearts and become a reality, will transform your life, will transform your family, will transform this city or the city that you come from in the name and in the power of Jesus Christ. Not in the name and the power of Harvest or this group that meets here, but in the name and the power of Jesus Christ. And so it is my prayer that we get captured by these truths today. And so let's look at at Acts chapter 1. And I'm going to be reading from um, verses 1 and 2. The first thing here, just before I read that, is they were captured by the understanding that the work has just begun. And that's our first point that that you'll see here. You can even write it down. They were captured and go ahead and even put it up there. Yeah, the work has just begun. Okay, so in verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up and after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, the writer of the book of Luke um, or, or the, not the book of Luke, but the, the writer of the book of Acts is Luke, who also wrote the book of Luke, okay? He was a medical doctor. He was a very solid historian. He took very careful note and details of things. Now, now I don't know if he was like our doctors today who have generally very messy handwriting. I don't know if you've noticed that when you get your prescription and you take it to the pharmacist and you wonder how in the world can you read that? But, but Dr. Luke here took some very important notes. And he says here in the first book, and so what he's referring to is the book of Luke. He says, in the first book that I wrote, O Theophilus, Theophilus was some sort of a Roman official. 
We don't know a lot about him, but that his name actually means lover of God. And for some reason, he commissioned the doctor, Dr. Luke, to write a historical account of the life of Jesus. And so that is what Dr. Luke did, is he wrote the book of Luke. And really what he ended up writing were two volumes. Volume number one, the book of Luke, covered the approximately 33 years or 30 years of Jesus' life. It starts with the birth, right through to the ascension up into heaven, about 33 years that that, uh, the book of Luke covers. And so he's saying, in my former book, O Theophilus, he says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now he's writing volume two, the book of Acts. Well, where's Jesus? Well, right in the very beginning, he ascends up into heaven. But he's just saying that the book of Luke was just the story of what the work just began. The work is just beginning in the book of Acts. It's just starting. It's getting going. And so we have volume one, the first 30 years, the next 30 years are covered of the life of the church. We see what ends up happening. And really, in many ways, there's no end to it. It ends in, in, in Acts chapter 28, rather abruptly, with, with Paul in prison in Rome. So it shows that the gospel was moving. But, I mean, it, it was a good thing that the gospel was moving. But it was also a bad thing that Paul was in prison and facing death. But it was a good thing because soon he was going to be going home to heaven. So that's not a bad thing. But it ends rather abruptly. And I kind of like it. I have a brother-in-law who's planting a church in Regina under a network called Acts 29. And I think that's just a great name. Because it's basically, there is no Acts 29. If you look in your Bibles, there's no Acts 29. But it's basically, they are a group that are continuing the work of Jesus Christ. And so the book of Acts is a continuation of the book of the life of Christ, and Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna, the church today, is a continuation of the work that Jesus has just begun to do. He's beginning to do a new work here, in our city, in our own lives. The work has not finished. It continues on and on. And that's, that's a great thing that we came to, that, that we must realize, that the disciples realize that the work of Jesus Christ, was just starting. Folks, Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna, has been a place where there's been a core group of people who have been captured by these truths. And we are desiring to see that now grow and spread. But here is a church, we're two weeks into it, it's about filling this place up. Not just for numbers sake, that's not what it's about. It's about seeing people get saved. Get baptized. Last Sunday, first Sunday that we had on record, we have had one person come and talk to me after the service that I want to get baptized. When's that going to happen? And I'm like, ah, oh, we just, okay, we've got to figure out how are we going to get a hot tub or something in here and we want to have a baptism and, 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 and we're going to get on that. We're going to get that figured out. And we were trusting the Lord to see hundreds of people saved, baptized, and growing as disciples of Jesus Christ. And not just coming and and sitting in a service, but being part of that movement. And I can't wait to the day that we outfit a trailer similar to what we have here for another core group somewhere here in British Columbia, maybe in the Okanagan Valley, who knows wherever the Lord leads us, to be a part of helping to plant 
more churches. And, and we're going to get partnered down the road with, with, with some harvest churches around the world. And we're going to be a part of sending some missionaries or, or some mission trips there. And to go and to help the people there and help plant churches. That's one of the exciting things about being part of a church planting church. Our mission is to plant churches. And we do that in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ because he's the one that does the building. But we come alongside to serve. And so, folks, we're just getting started. And 10 years from now, Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna, we're just going to be getting started. The work has just begun. It's not over. It's not time for the easy chair yet. Sorry to disappoint you. Not happening. The work has just begun. Second of all, the disciples were captured by the message. They were captured by the message. What was the message? The message was Jesus Christ. We can just put up the second one there on on the screen. They were captured by the message in verse 3. We read, He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom. So Jesus, for 40 days after the resurrection was spending time with the disciples. He came to them. He visited. He, he taught them, presented himself to them over and over during this time. And part of even the understanding and, and the way to understand this statement when it says that he presented himself alive to them uh, by many proofs is basically he eyeballed them and they were able to eyeball him and they could see. This just wasn't a figment of their imagination. This just wasn't some angelic appearance that kind of looked like Jesus. They could see, they could eyeball him and say, that's him. That's Jesus. They were convinced. They knew that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and was there with them in the flesh. And they would need to to bank on those truths in the weeks, months, and years ahead. As the gospel would be spread out. They needed to have it convinced to them. That Jesus Christ was alive. And as he did this. He taught them. He spent time teaching with them. Teaching them about the kingdom. Helping them to understand. Obviously they had a lot of questions. In in verses 6 and 7 it goes on to say. You know. Hey when are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? When are we going to topple the Romans? When are you know what? We're going to kind of have our place. And he says that's not important. That's not important. But here's what's important. And he taught them. I'm sure those were some pretty intensive teaching sessions over those 40 days. That when Jesus showed up and he was there with them, they probably were writing things down and trying to process everything. Hey, Jesus, what do we do when we, when we encounter this? And what happens here? Well, last fall, I can't imagine what it was like for these guys. Because last fall, I went to Chicago and spent four months there at the training center for church planting. And very much, there were, there were 12 of us that were in the training center. And I think eight of us so far have, have, have launched the churches in, in the respective places from, from down in Haiti to San Antonio, Texas. Dayton is coming online soon. There's a number of others that are still in the works. There's um, uh, Bram, Bramford here that was launched in May. Um, but I was there in the training center, and it was described oftentimes day after day as we were there for four months. It was like they were hooking up a fire hose to us and and just just blasting us with information and i mean it was like information overload but they were giving us the teaching the training the understanding on how to plant a church you kind of think well it should be pretty simple no it's not there's there's a lot lot to it not just in the physical setup but in the 
spiritual preparation and, 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 and the spiritual work that needs to happen and, and leadership development and different things. It was an intensive time. I couldn't imagine what it was like these 40 days for the disciples because they were being given the biggest assignment the, with the most important mission that has ever been given. And so here they go. These 40 days with Jesus, spending time with him. And in the weeks and the months and the years to come, they would draw on this time that they spent with Jesus. And in these 40 days and and the three years they had prior to that, they became convinced that Jesus was the Messiah. They were convinced that the righteous died for the unrighteous. They were convinced that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. They were convinced that he conquered sin and death and the wrath of God he took upon himself that we so much deserve. They were convinced that whoever would receive this message and would repent and would turn from their sins, would be forgiven and find a new life in Jesus Christ. They believed that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one would come to the Father except through Jesus. They were captured by this message. They were convinced of it. Have you been captured by the message of the gospel? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the only way, the truth, and the life? And that whoever puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ becomes one of his own? Has the gospel made a difference in your life? Thirdly, they were captured by the Spirit's power. They were captured by the Spirit's power in the promise that was yet to come. In verse 4 it says, And while staying there with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Now in verse 8, here's the key. But you will receive power when the holy spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in jerusalem in all judea and samaria and to the ends of the earth there is absolutely no way that the disciples would be able to go out and fulfill the mission that they were given in their own strength and so jesus gave them some very specific instructions stay in jerusalem you're going to be tempted to, to hightail it out of here stay in jerusalem stay put and then he also says and wait Wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. We are not people that oftentimes like to take instructions very well, do we? Highway posted signs. Those are just suggestions, aren't they, for speed limits? Or how about when it comes to waiting? The light turns green. There's a car in front of you. And they're just sitting there. And, I mean, really, it's probably only a second or two, but... It feels like 10 or 15, and, you know, I'm busy and honking the horn. Confession, how many have done that in the last month? Honked at somebody who, yeah, okay, okay, good. Remember, you're in kind of like a church building, not that the building is sacred here, but, um, you know, just, uh, yeah, or or at least have 
muttered something under your breath, you know, come on, get moving. What's taking so long? Um, I, I'd put my hand up on, on both of those, uh, yes. But um, we're people who don't like to wait, do we? And here Jesus is telling his disciples, you've got to wait. You've got to wait. Stay in the city and wait. Because something good is coming. And folks, it seems that in life we can be in that waiting period. And we're waiting for God to come through in this area. We're waiting for this prayer to be answered. We're going to see in the coming weeks what the disciples did because they were waiting for the power to come. They were waiting for help to arrive. They were waiting to to be a part and to get out there and do the mission that they were called to be a part of. But they needed to stay in Jerusalem. They needed to wait. The disciples had to learn, and so must we, that the power of the church, the power to live the Christian life, comes from the Holy Spirit Holy Spirit's power and not our own power. If it's in our own power and strength, we're going to get worn out. We're going to get wiped out. We're going to get weakened. It doesn't come, the power of the church doesn't come from great, great musicians. The power of the church doesn't come from a great infrastructure, a beautiful setup or a beautiful building. The power of the church comes from the Holy Spirit. And it's of ordinary people who are able to do extraordinary things because of the Spirit of God that is at work within them. Not because they're smart or because they're charming or because they're good-looking or because they have this amazing story and just have an ability to share it in quite the, the proper way. The, the way that we are able to turn the world upside down comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. You look at the disciples, the 11 that were there with Jesus. What an odd group of people. I mean, from fishermen, tax collectors. I mean, when you do the study, when you do, you know, you understand their backgrounds. I mean, these were guys that were from different nationalities and backgrounds as well. And part of probably Jesus' job was just refereeing some of the fights and the knitter, uh, knitter, uh, knittering that would go on between them in, in their years together because there were a lot of, of, of issues that would have come up. Put 12 men in a room, and of course you're going to have issues, right? And, uh, and I mean, th- these were just a very odd group of people. But the Lord brought them together, and together, in the power of the Holy Spirit, they turned Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, they took it to the ends of the earth. And see, so oftentimes, when we read the book of Acts, or we hear about it, or we hear people talk about it, we... We think, well, it's just all about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's about signs and wonders and miracles and healing and speaking in tongues. And, and, uh, but I can tell you, that's not the point of the book of Acts. At times we've made it. The church has made it the point of the book of Acts. But it's not. And there can be a lot of confusion in the church today about the Holy Spirit. And here at Harvest, I think the way that we would describe ourselves when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we, call, we would describe ourselves as charismatics with a seatbelt. We believe very much in the power of the Holy Spirit. But we also believe, according to 1 Corinthians 14.40, that we do everything decently and in order and, and biblically. And the Holy Spirit does much in the life of the believer that is yielded and surrendered to Jesus Christ. 
we'll cover that in, in the weeks ahead in this series. So what's the point of the book of Acts? If it's not about the Holy Spirit? Well, the point of the book of Acts is it's not the miracles. It's not the tongues. And you can, even if you want, you can underline this in your Bibles and encourage you to even perhaps write it in here that, that this is kind of the point of the book of Acts. It's in verse 8, verse 8 of chapter 1. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That word power is where we get our word dynamite from. You will receive dynamite. You will receive dynamic power that can come only from God. Driving through the mountains as I did yesterday and you see the way that they've chiseled out rock where they've, they, they've put the road in different areas and they use dynamite to do the blast and you see how powerful dynamite is? The Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. The Holy Spirit in the life of a group of people is powerful. And all through the book of Acts... And even through the New Testament, you see that when the Holy Spirit comes into the life of a person, it's not about the gifts that happen. It, it's for the witness. You see that in John the Baptist. When the Holy Spirit came upon him, he's proclaimed the word of truth. You see that all throughout, that, that the Holy Spirit fills us not of, it's about the gifting and about all the different things that come with that, but primarily fills us so that we are witnesses for Jesus Christ. We're witnesses of the power of Jesus Christ. And as God's people, we are expected. It's not that we, we have to, we want to witness for Christ. If Christ has truly saved you, and he has truly changed you, and the Holy Spirit is, is in you, and you are filled with him, you'll want to share the good news of the gospel. There's a popular statement out there today that I don't necessarily agree with very much. And it, it goes like this. Preach the word of God always and sometimes, if necessary, use words. And, and yes, our actions and, and how we act or react can, can be a good testimony. But can I just say something offline for a second? Because I, I just don't want this to hurt your ears. But use words! Words matter! They make a difference. Use words. Don't just think that because you may not have a beer when you go out with friends that there's, you know, oh, they're going to ask me about why I don't drink. And therefore, they just will assume that I'm a Christian. They know, to, know that I go to church. No, that's not it. Use the words to share what Christ has done in your life. Be quick to give him praise. Not talking about turning into a fanatic that it just turns people off, but ask the Holy Spirit to give you a balance in that. But use words. Share the good news, what Christ has done with the people that we live around, that we rub shoulders with. Just think about, let's say, let's say you came across the cure for cancer that somehow you stumbled across it and you had the cure for cancer. But I'm shy and I, I really don't want to tell people and, and I don't want to get any, you know, I don't want to get any fame and I kind of get a little nervous and, and sweaty when, when, when I start talking. And, but you have the cure for cancer. And you could 
potentially save the lives of millions of people every year. Do you keep that good news to yourself? No way. You want to share it. And people, the folks that we rub shoulders with, our neighbors, our friends, our relatives, co-workers, they have the sentence of death upon them. And we have the answer. And the cure and the answer is Jesus Christ. And we ought to share that. The Holy Spirit frees us to be able to share with bold witness. The disciples were captured by the Spirit's power to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. Three times in that passage. And and that wasn't just the passage that just words that Jesus gave to his disciples. Those are, are words for us today. And you... Three times it says it in this, in this passage. So, so when you see a word occurring often in one, one verse, you should pay attention to what that word says. And it says, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you, not the pastor, not the person with a religious training and background and has had, you know, five good solid years of being in a church. No, wherever you are. If Christ has saved you, you share. And you will be the witnesses in Jerusalem. Meaning, start where you're at. In Judea, move it out a little bit. To Samaria, that one is thrown in there. Because yes, it's a region, but it's also a lot of... Oh, really? The Samaritans? Don't like them. Remember that show, Corner Gas? Uh, If you're from the prairies, you you love that. Whenever they would say Willerton, you know, and everyone would spit because it was like, Oh, don't say that, that's just a terror. I mean, when he would have said Samaria... Would have, oh, Samaria? Really? <laughs> Maybe they would have done that. I, I don't know if they would have done that back then, but, but, but it, it wasn't a great place to go. But yeah, it's to take it to even the Samaritans and take it to the ends of the earth. And it starts in our circles. It starts in our neighborhoods. It starts in our family. It starts in the workplace. And it moves out from there into our city, even into those areas in our world, in our culture that maybe we don't like very much. The Lord needs to do a work in our own heart. You say, but I can't. You're right, you can't. But with the Holy Spirit's power in you, you can. And that's one of the great things about being part of a church planting church is that we get to assist others. We get to help move the gospel in a very significant way around the world. Through our prayer, through our support, through our our help around the world. The disciples in the New Testament church, they were captured by the understanding that they would need the power of the Holy Spirit in order to be witnesses for Christ. But they were also told that you've got to wait for it. We'll cover that in the weeks to come. And then fourthly, they were captured by a promise. And in verse 9, it says, And, and when he had said these things, as, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So here is Jesus speaking, and, and they're, they're out, I guess, kind of walking together. And, and, and you know, it's just he, he's hanging out with them. They're, they're talking, and, and he just nicely says these things, and all of a sudden, he just starts going up. Going up, I mean, this is, this is something they had not seen before. I mean, they saw him do a lot of amazing, miraculous things. But was, what, what's going on? I mean, 
There, there you go. And he's gone. What's good? He was just here. I mean, and, and they're, they're standing there like, okay, there's clouds in the way. Just if those clouds would move a little bit, maybe we could just see him. <laughs> like, like, what's going on? And, and there's some confusion. But then the angels come and they, they say, hey, he's coming up into heaven. But in the same way that he's got, has gone up into heaven, he's coming back. The same way he's gone up, he's coming back. And he went up in a visible way. He's going to return in a visible way. Jesus Christ is returning. He's going to return for his bride for the church. Right now, he's preparing a place for his children, for all those who have put their faith and their trust in him. He's sitting at the right hand of the throne of God, interceding. He's praying for you and for me. He's praying for you right now. He's praying that you would respond to the gospel, that these things that captured the disciples so many years ago... This work that is just beginning again and again and again would capture our hearts. And he's saying, oh God, he's interceding to the Father, praying for you today. This is the glorious hope that we have as the church, that Jesus Christ is coming again. He's coming suddenly. He's coming in the twinkling of of the eye. The trumpet will sound. What a promise. What a hope that we have in heaven. I don't think a week goes by that I hear my wife say, Oh, Jesus just needs to return. When you hear what's going on in our world, when you see the suffering, you see just at times politics of life, whether that be at workplaces, in homes, whatever, you see the illnesses, you see the suffering, you see everything going on, you say, oh, Jesus just needs to return. You know what? I I believe firmly that Harvest Bible Chapel Kelowna is an end times church. That we will see very soon the return of Jesus Christ. That time of Jesus returning is getting closer and closer. Yes, I know, I I remember in, uh, as a teenager, remember uh, this book that came out in 1988, and it said 88 reasons why Jesus will return in 1988. And and they even had it down to a day, and and a lot of people got kind of swept up in the euphoria and kind of thinking, okay, I think it was a day in September. And and I remember it's I, I thought it says in the Bible that no one knows the date or the time, but this guy seemed to know it, and a lot of people were kind of saying, oh, it seems to make sense. And so I remember that day just, okay, are we, are we going? You know, like, hopefully, you know, ho, ho, I'm good, you know, and, and a little confusion there. And, and th- then he came out with uh, uh, 89 reasons why he, why he will return in 89. He was just one year off. Well, he's been a few years off in, in, in his thinking, but when you see what is going on in our world... I mean, things are just, just cycling even faster and faster. And, and we have so much Bible prophecy that is happening. Things that, that the Bible has told us about, has prophesied about, is taking place. And it's happening in an unprecedented way. We see wars and rumors of war, terrorism threats. Even coming to Canada, there, there's, there's a greater concern of, of, of terrorist um, threats. We have ISIS that, that is beheading people. Nations at war. Criminals run free. The world is, is, is concerned about pestilence, about disease. This Ebola virus is, is getting a lot of people concerned, and, and there should be concern. There's earthquakes and tornadoes, and it seems our, our weather patterns are just out of whack. And, and there's so much evil and suffering in the world. And, and another thing that, that we see happening in unprecedented ways is that the false teachers that are within the church, and, and people are being deceived by, by, by teaching that, is straying away from the Word of God. And how we need that mid-course correction. People who are captured. And last week, devoted to God's word. 
We see morals and values that are just out of whack. And their redefinition of marriage, that, that we've got to redefine marriage. And, and uh, this week, I mean, it, this almost became, I mean, just the icing on the cake for me. And yet, I, I don't want to say that because it just seems things get worse and worse. But did you know there is a Christian swingers club now? You know, kind of how you can have online dating, you know, this uh, Match.com and different things. Now, in, in the United States, there, there's a group of people that, that match couples up who want to exchange wedding, marriage partners for relationship purposes, for sexual purposes. And they call themselves Christians. And they say, after all, the Bible says, judge not that you be not judged. Ah, taken a little out of context. Or, 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 or they say, but God, God loves us. He wants us just to be happy. No, it's about him calling us to holiness. And even, I mean, it's out of whack. And, and at first I thought it was just a joke, but, but they're serious. Paul Tripp, I, I read this, this just amazing little quote from him this week. It was so timely. He says, this world is not paradise. And you cannot turn, and, and you can't turn it into paradise. We try so hard. To try to make everything just right. People move to Kelowna in, in, in such a um, certain way because they think, in Kelowna, that's where I want to move and, and I'll be happy there. I have this atheist friend that moved here four years ago just before we moved here. And, and, and he would come to some of our services in Alberta and, and he would, would laugh at me, especially Christmas Eve, he'd come and atheists come into... But he says he liked the Christmas carols. And, and uh, I said, but we're singing to someone who you don't believe in. And he says, oh, I just like singing. And, you know, I like Christmas. And he'd come in and he'd hear me speak about how we have this, this hole in our heart that only God can fill. Well, ha, he just thought that was hilarious. So Meldon, he says, I have this hole in my heart, you know. And, um, and we went to a celebration, a party that he threw uh, with some of his friends one day. And... And Charlotte and I thought we'd go to this party. And, and there he was with his wine bottle. And, and he says, Meldon, he says, the hole in my heart is officially filled. People, good drink, good music. Look at this. This is just wonderful. A year later, he was packing up and he was moving back to Edmonton. And I said, what happened? You said that hole in your heart was filled with these things. And he just said some some things to me that weren't nice, and, and I pray for him. That people think we can make paradise here, that we can make it happen. Just if I have enough money, if I just have this, if people like me. Yeah, Robin Williams is an example of that, isn't he? Tragic. Tragic. Fame, money, people love him. I mean, he wasn't even a political figure. I mean, those guys get shot at all the time, but here he's just a funny guy. People loved him, and yet... Life wasn't worth living. Over the last three or four days, our family has been walking around with a pretty sick feeling in our stomachs because a former staff member of ours in in Alberta, um, their 21-year-old son just this past week took his life. Life not worth living. We try to make paradise here. We try to think the answers are here, and it's not. It's paradise lost. But paradise is coming. And paradise is coming. And your place is secured in paradise through the cross of Jesus Christ. 
That's the message we get to share. It's not the message we have to share because the pastor said it. It's when he's changing and transforming us. We want to share it. It's the best news ever. We want to be people that are captured knowing that the work that he's called us to has just begun. We're captured by the message that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We're captured by the message that we can't do it in our strength and our power. It's through the Holy Spirit. We're captured by the knowledge that paradise, heaven, awaits us as his children. We know we live in a broken world, but paradise is coming. And so where are you at today? Have you been captured by these truths? Is this something that you're fired up about? Is this something that you resonate with and say, yeah, this is it? Are you part of the movement? Or has church just become a checklist? Has your spiritual walk just become something you do when you've got time? Is the work and the life and the teachings of Jesus continuing through you? Are you volume number three? Volume number four? Just as Luke was volume one in the book of Acts, volume two? Are you part of the movement? You know, one of the biggest foes that we will fight here, especially in North America, is spiritual apathy. We have so much. You might say, yeah, you're right, Melvin. There's a lot of lukewarm Christians out there. No, you know what? Don't look at others. Look at your own life. I have to look at my own life. The biggest problem is my own lukewarmness. That I can just go through the religious motions and the routines and and not have a fresh encounter with the Lord on a daily basis. That there's no hunger in my life for the word of God. That, that the culture presses in around me in idolatry or, or pride or, 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 you know what, just having position or some kind of authority can, can be a big thing in our lives. And I, I have to get on my knees and say, Lord, do a new work in me. May I be captured in a new and a fresh way on a daily basis in our lives. Do we find ourselves on our knees Weeping over our sin. Weeping over the sin in our family. Weeping over the sin in our nation. And also then weeping over the forgiveness. And the salvation. And the grace that we have in Jesus Christ. That's part of the reason why on Wednesday we want to pray. We want to get together in a room at the church there. At the Christian Reformed Church. And meeting with the pastor there. He loves the fact that we are couple blocks away. He says, I was getting kind of lonely up here in the north end of Kelowna. And he's just thrilled that, that there's another gospel preaching church here in the north side of the city. And so they're allowing us to use their facility there. And that's why we're getting after some prayer. We're saying, oh God, do a work in our hearts. Capture me in a new way, in a fresh way. Capture our hearts. May we be a movement of people. And that move would start in you, individually. It would move into your families. It would move into our congregation. It would move into our workplaces, our neighborhoods. It would move throughout our city and our nation. Amen? That's what he calls us to do. We're going to close in a few moments by singing 10,000 reasons. We have so many reasons to be thankful. So many reasons because of what he has done for us. And may, as we sing that, just realign our heart in thanksgiving to God. And even as it talks about heaven in the end, yes, we get a heaven in the end. But until then, we're to be part of the movement. Let's pray together.
Father. We see how these truths captured at this time the 11 disciples and next week we see the 12th was added. And Father, I pray that these truths would capture us in a new way, that that your word would capture us, that your spirit's power would be able to fill us because we are yielded and yearning and, and desiring to be filled. But so oftentimes our lives are filled with so many other things that there's no room for the Holy Spirit to fill us in the way that he desires. And Father, I pray that each one of us would be captured first and foremost by the message of Jesus Christ and the gospel. And if there's anyone here that is not sure whether or not they, they truly even know Christ is their Savior. May they not leave this place today until they know and that they have committed their hearts to you. And even, Lord, in these moments together, may there be a lot of prayers that would be offered up to you of individuals that say, Lord, do a new work in me. May these truths that we talked about here today capture me. And Lord, that it would all be for your glory, not for, not for ours, not for how this makes us look, but all for you. And Lord, we pray that Harvest Kelowna would be a movement of people that are moving by the power of the Holy Spirit, spreading the gospel. Lord, change and transform us into people who are on fire for you. And that we would be bold witnesses even this week in sharing you, Jesus, and inviting others to church and in sharing that no, we don't have it all together. Yeah, we stumble and we fall, but we have a Savior who is there. May we just continue, Lord Jesus, to walk with one another, love one another, as we believe and trust you for great and mighty 